Hey podcast, thanks so much for listening to this episode of Shop Talk, turning challenge into opportunity with Tracy Fatasic. This conversation is so good. Tracy is a salon industry disruptor that because of moving so many different times with her husband's job following him around the world, uh, she had to regrow her salon, her business in every single town she was in. She learned a lot, but pre-COVID, she started to take a look at different ways she could innovate inside of the industry. Maybe was one of the first people that adopted a deskless system. And then she started to look at the app world and recently launched an app called Pretty Set Go and a website called Pretty Convenient in which during COVID, she really turned the retail opportunity into an opportunity to serve her guests at a higher level with multiple different beauty boxes. I won't give all the details because Tracy goes deep into it inside of this conversation, but she also shares lessons that she learned along the way, both being mentored early in her career as well as as a multiple salon owner, and she just has a wealth of knowledge to share. So anyway, you're going to love this episode. If you do love this episode, I'm going to go old school for a second here. Please consider leaving us a John Palmieri style five-star review on iTunes. We've had some really great reviews lately. We always appreciate them. And if you're up for giving a review, that's right. Just flick your thumb up. You know, the phone's already in your hand and give us a wicked good review. Maybe even shout out what your favorite episode has been. That being said, we have a lot coming up in 2022 that I won't share all in this episode, but I'll just let you know that you are going to be thrilled with some of the progress and uh, we're going to call it Shop Talk 2.0 coming to you launching in January. So I'm not going to share any of the secrets. I just want you to know we've got you in mind and we have a lot of great conversations coming to you and some new additions to the team and you're going to be thrilled. So anyway, as always, thanks again for listening and enjoy this episode with Tracy Fatasic. Tracy, thanks again for joining us today. One of the places I le- really like to start is I like to talk about how people got into the hair industry, because I think that's one of the things we kind of share in common. So tell us a little bit about that. How did your journey start? How did hairdressing choose you? How did we get here? Hi, John. Hi, Chris. Thanks so much for having me on today. I really appreciate it. Um, I took a little bit of a different path to joining the beauty industry. I wanted to live in the world of beauty, but I was going to be the first person in my family to actually attend college. So I was encouraged to go for a business and marketing degree. And then after a couple of years of doing that, I realized that my life is my life and I get to make those decisions. And so I actually started working as a salon manager and coordinator before I achieved my cosmetology license and um, received that degree. So I look at the industry from, and I've always looked at it, I guess, from an owner standpoint or the business and number side of it. And then the artistic side and the creative side is what I, um, when I became a cosmetologist. And then I just, through the course of my life, I learned to implement both together and build upon that. Now I, I missed this. And so I apologize. So you did get your business degree? 
No, I left oh. after a couple of years because oh, I had it. such a deep desire to be in the beauty industry. Mm-hmm. You know, that's I was a non-traditional learner my entire life. Oh, and that's right. the way most um, cosmetology or beauty professionals are. Mm-hmm. And so at an early age, I learned to lean a little bit further into that edge versus being led by what the society or my family expected me to mm-hmm. do. When you think about that time when you were both uh, a manager and coordinator for that for that location, what are, like what are some of the things you took away from that experience? What were the one or two things that kind of have stuck with you that this whole time? That's a great question. I was very fortunate. Um, I was born and raised in Anchorage, Alaska, and the salon I went mm. to go work for was a husband and wife team. And the husband was the hairstylist, and the wife was actually the business side of things. And they were the number one salon in Anchorage where I lived. And so they had a really strong system set up and I was mentored under both of them. And so I would say three things. Number one, I saw a product sitting on the shelf and realized that that was a dollar bill. It wasn't just a bottle of shampoo. So I looked at it a little bit differently um, when doing inventory and buying inventory. Um, From the owner's standpoint of the husband who was the creative, I saw how he needed to be much more personable and empathetic and um, approachable to his team members. So I learned that approach from him. And then also by being one of the number one salons in town, I realized the immense pressure of when you build a really powerful, sustainable business that you have approximately 45 people counting on that paycheck and the community counting on you to be there to grow that community. That's a pressure that is not necessarily for everybody. And um, fortunately, because they were such great mentors, I was um, ready and willing to take it on. And even then, I would be honest with you, I didn't really know exactly what I was getting into when I became an owner. (laughs) So this location had about 45 employees in total? Yeah, so it was two locations on either side of town. Anchorage is one of those um, towns that we have the ocean on one side and we have the mountains on the other. So it really takes only about 15, 20 minutes to get to either side of town. And um, they started it. The husband was actually in the military and became a um, cosmetologist. And so they started it many, many, many years ago when Mm -hmm. the um, great state of Alaska was growing its population. And so he was able to kind of grow his business along with all of that. How old were you at this time? I was in my early 20s. Um, I was 21 at the that time. That sounds like a huge responsibility for a 21-year-old just out of cosmetology school. Um, it was were, huge. <laughs> yeah, were you not scared a little bit? I think that at that age, mm-hmm. you tend to have a false sense of confidence <laughs> yeah. that everything is um, achievable. And then as life goes on, you realize that okay, everything could be achievable, but there's a certain measure of work that needs to put behind it. So I was probably naively confident and it worked to my advantage. And Mm -hmm. there's days, you know, now that I'm like almost 30 years into the industry that I think to myself, gosh, I could just, you know, capture that energy in a bottle and um, utilize that today. I might try more. (laughs) I I think that all the time. It's funny when even just if I'm trying to relate to a student who is overconfident and, you know, and in my mind, I hear my older brother, you know, who's 12 years, my senior saying, you know, kind of, you know, when you're, when you work with your older brother and you're young, the way he 
puts you back down is he just shames you really quick, you know? (laughs) So, so without ever shaming anybody, I hear my brothers and I go, okay, how can I relate? And it's like, oh, because I was a know-it-all back when I was young, something really important that, and you know what, that confidence is really useful in the beginning of your career, because it Mm -hmm. helps you plow through some mountains that, you know, otherwise would be more difficult if you maybe had a more honest perspective of what, you know, (laughs) what was coming your way. So I, I, first of all, thank you for saying that because, you know, the person that I'm staring at across uh, the screen, number one, you mentioned in your opening that you captured both the artistic side along with the business side and, and just the setup that I see behind you and the, you know, the, <laughs> the, um, the branding that you have on your, you know, cupboards and things. It's like, you really got it. You've, you know, you've got the style and I can also tell you're buttoned up. Um, I'm, I, I want to hang for a second on the statement that you made about it when you're in business and you have, and whether it's 45 employees or 10 employees, you know, a hair salon really becomes a part of the community. If done right, you have the opportunity to become a mainstay in your community. And um, I love that you recognize that as being a responsibility. And I want to talk about it a little bit more as an opportunity, because I don't believe that every salon owner, number one, either sees that, or number two, really takes advantage of, you know, what could be happening. So in order to kind of plant your feet in that community, what were some things that you either did while working at that salon or implemented when you owned your salon to really, you know, become a part of the community? That's a good one. Um, I think that, you know, to kind of build a little bit on that too, is that as a beauty professional, there's a certain level of reputation that is innately out there of the type of individual that goes into this profession. And by actually becoming part, a strong voice and part of your own microcosm of community, we have a huge opportunity to re-educate society on how powerful, how knowledgeable and how intelligent beauty professionals truly are. So if we put that at the forefront, that can really give us the energy to be willing to go out and do it ourselves because we are tired at the end of the day. I understand that as a business owner and as a beauty professional. I am what we call an introvert extrovert. So I had to push myself out there. But what I was able to see is that by the owners of the business that I started with actually going to the community meetings, by volunteering to certain areas, by creating donations for galas and events that were going on, by connecting with the customer as they come into their space or their salon on a one-to-one basis, not just putting that on the weight of the team members, but actually holding that on the shoulders of the owner. What happened was that's where the referral and that powerful word of mouth happened. And so it's not that, oh, just go to X, Y, and Z salon because it's the best service providers in the area. Go to X, Y, and Z salon because they actually give back. They actually donate. They actually are part of it. Mm -hmm. They're a great group of individuals and they do really good hair and makeup and skincare services. And so then the service becomes secondary. The person or the business itself becomes primary. 
Yeah, to Chris's point, I think that's something we kind of overlooked that connection with the community. You know, when I look back at some time at the time when, you know, I had a salon up in Massachusetts for a while, I would always find it interesting because you never know the impact, right? And when I would talk to customers, say, oh, how'd you find out about us? And it was like, you know, the yellow pages at the time or Facebook yeah. or Instagram or whatever. I was always pleasantly surprised when I heard somebody say, you sponsor my kid's baseball team or my kid goes to the hockey team that you guys sponsor. Because you, it, it's not that instant gratification, I think, like you get with Instagram or Facebook. Yet when it happens, you're always like, wow, somebody did pay attention. That, that did pay off, right? Yeah, um, exactly. And so, you know, to Chris's point, that's a big deal when we are part of the community and, and people like having us there, right? Yeah. I think it also allows you to step into those shoes that you're talking about, like mm -hmm. to recognize, number one, like I'm a business person, mm -hmm. you know, this just, and I love uh, somebody who's not that far from you, actually, Lalitha Arnold talked about like the way she used in her words were like, I didn't want to own a shop. Yeah. I wanted to own a business. Like I, you know, we do things different than if I had a shop we own a business. And I think just that language for her helped her to choose her staff differently, train her staff differently, helps her staff to be more prideful, um, uh, more responsible, reliable, all, all of those abilities that we have to develop if we're really actually in the game. Um, and so how long did you own your salon? First of all, how did you get from Anchorage to... <laughs> Chicago, to Illinois. Yeah. yeah. So the um, my husband works for Costco. So mm -hmm. we had um, business transfers, company transfers from Alaska to Ohio to Minnesota, and then eight years ago to Illinois. So what ended up happening there is that I knew that my paycheck was only as good as my ability to work all of these things that I was taught and learned early on in the stage of my career. And that also afforded my husband an opportunity to build and grow his career. So every single state we went to, I didn't know anybody. Mm -hmm. I had to start from square one, just like everybody else. Um, and by the time I reached Minnesota, I had decided at that point in time, I wanted to own my own salon. And so that was when I built a customer base through scratch, built my own salon, had that going. And then it was time for me to leave Minnesota and move to Illinois. So transferred that business over, um, moved to Illinois, knew I wanted to build and grow or buy a pre-existing salon here. So I actually would travel back and forth between Illinois and Minnesota for the first year, taking care of my previous clientele up there until they um, it had sufficed financially enough for me to be able to buy and build and grow a salon here in Illinois. And that was um, eight years ago when I moved, seven years ago when I launched the salon, and then about five years ago when I launched, when I transferred from traditional salon ownership into my mobile app business. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Um, and so what were some things that you learned maybe that <laughs> caught you by surprise when you opened and grew your salon? Like, I mean, it, I, I know from working in somebody else's organization and being a former salon owner as well, that there's a difference. You know, and so what were some things that maybe caught you off guard or were pleasant surprises or just your biggest learnings there? 
So what's interesting is that when I went from such a great environment in Alaska to my new environment in Ohio, I was trying to search for what I had previously before. And yes, people are people. However, whatever dem demographic and area that you're in in the country, people also have different expectations of what their experience is like. Mm -hmm. um, so I had to adjust myself to the environment that I was in until I could afford to or chose to build an environment that I wanted to create, meaning a salon business yeah. for those that were similar to myself. So I think the biggest um, piece I learned over all the course of those moves is that I need to adjust myself that I can't stay tried and true to these old school thought processes because everything business-wise is constantly curating itself, evolving. Yeah, there's a bit of cyclical piece sure. to it, but at the end of the day, we're humans dealing with humans. And so society, as it changes, we as service providers need to change what we're offering as well. Yeah, that's awesome. And um, I know you talked a little bit in the, our upfront conversation about, you know, being on the forefront of some, what we consider, you know, evolutions that have really been, I want to say, accelerated by just by COVID last year, really, that people yeah. had to do business differently. Um, and some of those things were like transitioning what the front desk looks like, what is what is retail, you know, and home care look like inside of the salon. Um, and those are things you kind of drums you started to bang on early. So you want to kind of talk about some ideas that came up and how you've. I love sharing this part because hopefully it'll help somebody that has thought about doing this or dipping their toes into it to give them the energy and the motivation and the goal to just go ahead, jump in the deep end like I did. Um, so one of the things was when I was trans, um, when I was going back and forth between Illinois and Minnesota. That was when I really realized digital technology could be the best friend for a beauty business. I, the place that I would return to, I was actually renting a chair and they did not have space for me to keep my retail products, my back bar products, or my collar bar. So every month, every five weeks, I was having to bring it back up to Minnesota mm. with me and bring it back. So what ended up happening is I had to have everything really tight because I would see anywhere between 35 to 45 clients in a 40 or 72 hour period of time. So I would have to pre-sell all of the upgraded services, conditioning treatments, color services, all of those. And I would also need to, the week before, prior to going, I would have to pre-sell my retail products. Mm -hmm. So that way it would just be sitting and waiting. When I purchased my salon here and transferred in, I realized the salon desk was kind of wasted space. I could get another chair into the mm -hmm. building, which generated more income for the business as well as the individual I hired on. It also, what happens is when a client leaves, as soon as that cape comes off, they're like out they're the gone. door, yeah. right? And then they stand in this awkward like service desk where they're in the front and you're like, of these three products, which ones would you like to take? Well, why are we having these awkward conversations? When they're in the chair, that's when a guest is the most amicable to any sort of conversation when you're tying things up. So that was when I started training our concierge team to actually be out of a desk and mingle in the salon. So while the client's getting their hair blown out, 
I trained the team to come over and say, of the items that Tracy utilized on you today, which ones would you like me to, to wrap up for you? And nine times out of 10, the client would literally turn their head around, look at the stylist and say, what was what that do you that want me to get? Me? Right. Yes, mm -hmm. exactly. So then everything was all tidied up in a nice, pretty little bow in a bag sitting on the station waiting for them. And then they just signed the receipt right there at the chair. And then the cape came off. So then people could take off out and no awkward, uncomfortable conversations are taking place at the end of the service. And it just worked so beautifully. I was like, gosh, everybody needs to be doing. But I took a lot of flack at the beginning because people were like, well, what are you going to do with the front desk if you don't have one? We don't need one. Sell it to somebody. Put it on Facebook Marketplace. That's right. You know, first of all, John, I just want to check in. Are, am I interrupting, right? Like, how, where's your head at? Because I got a bunch of thoughts. And so do you want to go first? Uh, or I, I'm good at the moment. I mean, um, you know, I think that Tracy's got so much here that I think that if we go too far deep, like for instance, I want to ask more about the concierge yeah. front desk why don't process. You, why don't you go there and I'll see what same thoughts we're having and then I can peel it off. Cause and I'm, I, I want to finish off with that where I'm afraid that if we spend too much time on any one thing, we're going to miss all that Tracy has well, to offer. I think right? if we take, let's, 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 let's bite into that first. for a minute. Cause yeah. I think it's important. Yeah. Go ahead yeah. and go. So, you know, Tracy, listening to you with regards to the front desk, it's funny because one of the things, you know, we teach our staff is when we're talking about the referrals and we're talking about rescheduling. We always say, have that conversation before you take the cape off, because for the same exact reason, we all know that when that cape comes off, they're, they're done, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I love how you, well, since we're talking about referrals and rescheduling anyways, I'm not just do it all while you still have the cape on, right? Yes, um, yes. I find it interesting that people kind of gave you a hard time about it. Why do you think that was? Because I'm sitting here going, hey, if it works and the customer has a great experience, uh, I want to know more. I, I find it interesting that somebody would say, yeah, that's what are you can do at your front desk. That's dumb. Well, we, that's not a great idea. You know, where do you think that came from? Uh, fear. Yeah. I think with anything. And I think the um, the statement that we all hate so much when you're uh, a thought leader or a disruptor, and it's that, you know, that statement, well, this is the way it's always been done. Right. And, yeah. and more than ever, team members and employees that are in your business, they really want to understand, they really do want to work and they mm -hmm. want to work really hard and they want to make really good money when they're in the building. Mm -hmm. Well, why, why shouldn't as an owner, it's your responsibility to find ways to ease that conversation and transition. A lot of times when a client is getting shampooed, are they not telling us, we're asking them, what have you been up to today? What's mm -hmm. coming up in your life? Well, the minute somebody says what's coming up in your life, well, that's when you, oh, we need to make sure we have an appointment scheduled for you. Right. So you look your best. Yep. That's, it's done. Rebook's mm -hmm. done. And if the concierge or that front desk or a team member is standing nearby and hearing that conversation, right? they just jut over to the command center where the computer is and set them up or use their iPad to pre-book and say, hey, listen, I was I overheard your conversation about rescheduling. So I think, again, going back to that answer is it was just the way it was always done. And mm -hmm. sometimes, and this is what I love about this generation is my generation Gen X would stand out in the rain for 20 minutes to hail a cab. 
Well, the millennial generation said, I'm not doing that. And they invented Uber. And that's amazing because at the end of the day, I don't like my hair and makeup messed up in the rain. So I'm, why shouldn't we embrace opportunities to make right. life a little bit easier for us? Uh, it's funny. Go ahead. Uh, I think it's interesting that I find, I think I find more of that fear coming from the stylist than I actually do the owners, right? Um, I think stylists are like, you mean I won't have somebody to do this for me? I won't have somebody to check out a yeah. client for me. I won't have somebody to reschedule them for me. I won't have somebody to go to the retail shelf and get it for me. Um, and the answer is no. Um, <laughs> but here's the thing, how, you know, to your point, how cool is it to be able to have that conversation, have that relationship and have it all done? Because we also know that our stylists like to complain about how their receptionist didn't ring up all their services, that they didn't follow up with the retail and how, and you rebooked them wrong, right? Yes. Um, yes. So what yes. a great opportunity to make sure that that client has a seamless experience. Chris, well, you were going to add something? Yeah. I mean, what I also heard and loved is, look, we've been going to fine dining restaurants forever. Right. I, the last thing I, if I'm at a diner, which I will eat at a diner any day mm -hmm. of the week. Meatloaf. If I, yeah. If I'm at a <laughs> diner, I'll go pay at the cash register. But if I'm at a fine dining experience that's happening while I'm seated, mm -hmm. while I'm finishing my coffee, and it's, and it's the same type of experience. So I want to talk a little bit more. And the other part is, John, is that you do have this person. You have this concierge who brings you the bag. Right. And so, you know, and the other part about it that, and, um, you know, this is just from our experience at Data Driven the other day, is that finally technology kidneys are catching up with that desire yes. as well. And they're going, okay, guys, like you don't have to have $12,000 worth of home care over, you know, taking up your entire waiting area when you can have two more stations in there, you can, you know, now have that same, make that same recommendation and either a have it somewhere else or B have it do delivered to them. Um, and so you've also in the past few years, you know, kind of evolved your salon and then started other multiple businesses as well. So you have an app and then yeah. you have like a beauty box type of a thing. And what is that called? What's the, what's so the app is pretty convenient. Yeah. And then the box is called pretty set go. Fantastic. And so tell us about that evolution, how it came up and what, what do they do? What are they? So this is the um, this is the best part of all of this is all of these great ideas that I had and <laughs> all of these implementations and the team that I got on board and everybody was making great money at that salon. We hit seven figures, the whole nine of it, right? And then I had a company-wide walkout. And because I was making some more changes and mm -hmm. kind of going back to what John was saying about getting the stylist on board, I was making changes, but I wasn't educating the team on the benefit of those changes. I just figured they should trust me. I'm making yeah. good changes. Mm -hmm. I've made them great money before. Why wouldn't you trust me? So I had this company-wide walkout. And what I realized um, at that time, after I picked myself up out of the corner, because I was rocking and crying myself to sleep every night, right? Mm -hmm. And rebuilt that business up is that 
technology, I'd already created kind of a mobile experience mm -hmm. just by eliminating the front desk and the um, waiting area. So why not allow beauty professionals to have control of their schedule, go ahead and create a concierge type system that allows clients to have on location, hairstyling, makeup and skincare services that in the comfort of their hotel or their home. And then the stylists and beauty professionals can kind of dictate their schedule, but I've pre-negotiated all the pay for them. Mm -hmm. So they don't have to do all that other stuff. And so I sold my salon. And then what's interesting is that I launched the app and it was kind of the same thing as the salon. There's a lot of mobile beauty wedding services out there, but sure. simply because it was wrapped around technology, I got a push back there. But I was able to find more individuals that wanted to be part of what I was creating because I said, hey, work full time behind the chair. But if you want to participate in a photo shoot, I need people that are trained for it. Um, go ahead and stay home part time with the kids. But then let's go ahead and schedule you some appointments to go ahead and do on location here and make up for special occasions. So that's when the app evolved. And then um, what ended up happening is last year when we had what I call it the pause, right? Mm -hmm. And everything was shut down. I had I still had bills to pay and a team to take care of. And customers that were our mobile company customers were still reaching out and requesting products. Like we had many people that were um, first responders and on the front lines. So they needed to have hair, makeup and styling products. We had um, customers that had extensions in the hair that were tapins that needed them removed somehow, or people are on Zoom on a regular basis and they're looking at a camera of themselves and wanting to look good. So it was a response and it was an emergency response to continue to pay my team and not let anybody go and an emergency response to customers that were requesting. And you know, if there's something else that I think could be a really great piece for people to hear is, your customers are actually telling you what they want to have from your service, your business, They what they want to buy, and we just have to listen. And for the app, the other piece that I heard all the time, it didn't matter how amazing that highlight or color service or cut was, at the end of every service, they would always say, God, if I could just have you come to my house and style my hair every morning before work. Okay, yeah. why not? Yeah. Right. <laughs> and that's what pretty convenient the app ended up um, building and growing five years ago. And then with last year, people were like, I still need products. I still need to do this. How am I going to do that? Okay, well, let's go ahead and do a virtual service. I have it available in my app anyway. Let's curate a box specifically for you. We've got products that were supposed to go into the styling kits that are brand new. Let's sell them. Mm -hmm. And it's been amazing. And we've really grown by leaps and bounds. And, and I've been able to create even an ambassador program for our beauty professionals that they can refer um, somebody to purchase the box. And then they would, the beauty professional will receive 25% commission on the sale of that okay. referral for the life of the subscription. That's awesome. And so when the person subscribes to this box, I'm thinking, I'm thinking as a salon owner at the moment, right? I'm going, okay, so I'm a salon owner and I want to create something, you know, a, a, something that's going to create revenue on a regular basis. That's going to fill a need of a client who needs it anyway. Like you said, 
Um, one of our team members brought this up the other day in, in education. She said, I think the reason why they'll go on Amazon while they're sitting in our chair is because they want to show the husband two different receipts. They don't want to make it. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, that may actually be true. Yep. That yeah. may actually be true. But, but, you know, we know that these people, you know, our clients, they're, they're going to purchase beauty, beauty products anyway. So you create a subscription. Is the is the box the same all the time? Are there variables ever that happen to it? Like what's what's that look like? Absolutely. So again, just how I created a 360 degree experience when I was traveling back and forth, um, I created that 360 experience for the box. So they purchase the box. There's a questionnaire for them to fill out. If we need clarification on what their hair, skin. Uh, makeup selections are like, then we will reach out directly to them. Then once they receive the box, it's like a starter kit and it has um, six to seven full-size products and tools to achieve what they're wanting to achieve, whether it's the pretty coily um, for kinky curly hair, or they're looking at a pretty wavy technique, or if they're looking at like a pretty natural makeup result. Then every single month prior to they're receiving the next series of box, we do a um, text message reach out of, hey, we're in the process of getting ready to curate your box. Do you want to keep it skincare or do you want to try one of our other boxes? So they have that opportunity for change, number one. And then number two, there's a QR code in every single box when they lift the lid up and inside of that QR code, they click on it and they can schedule a 20 minute virtual tutorial with one of the pretty convenient artists oh. to be able to mm -hmm. be taught how to customize the products in the box to what their hair skin is like mm -hmm. and to be able to create. And what's nice is that then I'm able to, again, for the beauty professionals that are pretty convenient artists, they have an opportunity to make another avenue of income that doesn't require them to, they could do it anywhere. I mean, mm -hmm. I've I've taken a virtual um, appointment in when I was in Rome, traveling sure. from sure. with my family at sure. one point in time. So it again allows even the beauty professional to have multiple streams of income. Mm -hmm. It allows the customer to have a curated experience um, without actually having to even leave the comfort of their homes as well. Sure. Um, as far as putting together an app, I mean, it sounds like you if I'm not mistaken, I mean, like COVID, which the, you know, the pause of COVID, which is the thing that really pushed this over the edge in it. What's the process of that? How did you even know how to do that? Or like what, you know, I mean, like, uh, yeah, that's a, a beauty tech finder. That's not a, not a tech person. Right. That was huge. <laughs> and I'm a Gen Xer. So I didn't even, I, you know, I still grounded my fingers on the back of the computer when I was in high school before <laughs> hey, I listen, could touch it. You know, yeah. I, I, let's not beat up the Gen Xers. Actually, Gen Xers invented Uber, by the way. It wasn't, it go. wasn't millennials. <laughs> millennials just use Uber. Mm -hmm. So let's remember that. And, and it was, it. and it was baby boomers that remembered uh, that, that invented the Mac. So exactly. the person exactly. that invented your iPhone is a baby boomer, <laughs> not a millennial. I Let's love be it. Clear. And the iPhone is a computer every day. So that's exactly right. right. Let's be clear. Absolutely. So what I did was just like with any, um, it's interesting because I'm actually in some ways thankful 
for this last pause we had um, of it catapulting technology forward, because a lot of the things that are at the fingertips of the beauty professional now and the consumer were not there in January of 2020. So I am thankful for that opportunity. Um, But to start an app out really is a daunting task. And unless you are in the tech field, you have to do a lot of research to find individuals that are developers that are interested in even understanding your industry, let alone developing an app for you. So I chose to go the easy way. I went with a company that very much like a website had almost like a point and shoot. You give them Mm -hmm. the information and it's like a templated type of app. Mm -hmm. And everything that came forward in the last year was all the things I was asking for five years ago that I kind of like couldn't get played with. Like, you know, we had a cell phone is the company phone versus a, a landline just simply. So we had the text message capabilities because the app hadn't developed yet, you know, those types of things. So it was, it's, you really have to, if you're going to change the model of your business and you're going to do it in a way that no one has ever tried before, or you don't have a mentor Mm -hmm. to help you, it's important to go outside of the industry to find mentors that will pick and choose that you can pick and choose wisdom from to be able to create that one, um, impact that you're trying to create. So anybody out there that's in the beauty industry, you may never find a beauty professional that's already done it. So you Mm. really do need to find, if you know somebody in tech, have them help you out. Start doing your research on your own. If you're even interested in building a beverage company, beverage companies may not have the answers, but people that are intuitive and know how to build something that's never been seen before, and it's always, I always go back to the Disney, right? Walt Disney, that mm-hmm. when he built Disneyland, it's exactly what he dreamed it would be. He saw it before the first um, customer actually even walked through those gates at Disney. That's what, that's the creative side that beauty professionals have. And mm-hmm. I hope that they can, um, everybody that's listening can have a moment to harness that within themselves. They see something that is not quite there yet, that if they're willing to put the work in, they can really lean into it and make it happen. You know, it's funny that you're talking about this, you know, there's a, there are a couple of things that come to mind. One is you said that, you know, you're probably not going to find it with someone in the beauty industry. And I think that's because we, we almost have blinders on, right? Th- this is what we know about our industry. This is what we do. And anything outside of that, we don't see it, right? Or don't mm-hmm. think it's possible. Chris and I were having a conversation, I think it was yesterday, and we were talking about Steve Jobs for a, for a hot minute. But the reason we were talking about him is because he had said something that kind of stuck in my mind. And I think Chris there too, which is, you know, we're always trying to make the customer happy. You know, we're always trying to, you know, fulfill their needs or their expectations, but sometimes they don't know what those are. Right. And I'm not saying that to be mean, you know, I think Steve Jobs said that in regards to the iPad, nobody knew they needed an iPad until we invented it. And then all of a sudden (laughs) we needed it. Right. And I think the same thing is true of some of these things you've done with pretty convenient and pretty set go is I don't know that I need that, but now that you've invented it, God, do I need that? Right. Right. And right. as, as, as hairstylists and people in the beauty industry, I think you're right. We have that creativeness to think of these things, but it may require somebody outside the industry to build it for us because Absolutely. we need people who don't have those blinders. Right. And if people tell, you no. Look at why they're telling you no. 
-hmm. don't take it. It is hard to take it personally. Don't get me wrong, because especially when you're passionate about something and clearly you can tell I'm very passionate about what Mm -hmm. I do. But um, when somebody tells you no, look at where they're coming from, where their feet stand and why they're saying no. Are they saying no because they were told no so many times that they just don't have the energy to give you a yes? Are they saying no because they're actually not your ideal client or ideal team member? Um, Really evaluate that and circle yourself with other people that operate from a place of yes because I feel you can turn a yes into a no, but mm-hmm. it's really hard to turn a no back into a yes. Mm-hmm. And so that's even, again, I have some amazing mentors in the beauty industry, but when I started living in a world of tech and um, changing what it looks like for myself and my team, that was something that I had to really stretch who my inside circle was. It mm-hmm. wasn't the same. And you will have people that fall off. I have people that I absolutely love that have fallen off the um, that inner circle wagon just simply because they they were where they were at happiest and they didn't even want to um, explore the opportunities now, it's, it's, out there. It, everything you're saying couldn't be more on point. And I mean, we've been having these conversations a lot lately about just about innovation and actually mm-hmm. what that means and that, you know, as salon professionals, I think we've had this illusion that we've been innovating for the, you know, and, and we really haven't. And again, until recently, there are some innovators that have probably been an, you know, icebergs Mm -hmm. that a lot's been happening below the surface. And now finally you're starting to see the peak come up. Um, yeah. Yeah. And those who aren't, you know, if you're still kind of saying to yourself, like, when's the change going to happen or whatever, you know, I think you missed it. I mean, I, I'm not saying you, (laughs) but like it's, it's changed. It just hasn't hit you yet. Um, and so if you're that salon, that's going, well, we're just going to keep on. It's like, eventually that's going to sputter out. I want to go back for just a second because I was reading the notes that you sent us for the warm up um, call. And there are a couple of things. And I think, I think you painted the picture pretty clearly about, um, leaning into when the universe tells you something. I mean, mm. for, I guess I want to ask, how did you know to listen? Because there are the times, and John and I, a part of our conversation about Steve Jobs was we were saying, you know, sometimes they ask for stuff that they really don't need. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they need stuff that they don't know how to ask for yet. Yeah. So, you know, what was it that you were listening to that you heard that you said, I'm this, I'm willing to go out and get it. That's my first question. So let's start there. Okay. Um, well, it's a couple of things. It was uh, developing a belief in myself and a belief in myself of seeing myself in a way that I've never seen myself before. And because it was, it's very easy to put me into that circle of just a hairdresser, right? And so I had to break that piece. So that's my personal internal work that I had to work on. Then when you have to vet, and this is anybody that's listening, if you're consistently believing that such as, let's say, Xbox Uh is, and I don't mean the game, but Xbox is going to be the next great thing around the corner, you have to vet that. You need to prove that. 
So start from square one. Think about when you were in cosmetology school and you had to make the fake salon and where the chairs went and how much your services were going to be. You need to go through that process again. You need to find out who is going to be my ideal client, find 10 of those people, and then actually pitch your idea to them. If you only get nine out of the 10 saying no, you only get one person saying yes, odds are you're too early with that idea because you did get the one person that said yes. Right. If, if everybody says no, chances are is it's a great idea, but it may never ever come to fruition, get comfortable with that and then move on. If you have nine out of the 10 say yes, then that's when it's time for you to actually start creating a business plan and start sourcing and, and building what mm -hmm. you've never built before with the same practices and techniques. And this is, I think, the other thing too with salon owners or um, entrepreneurial spirit beauty professionals is odds are if you have a successful business somewhere and you went through the processes before, business is business. If you figured out that it's a yes, apply those same processes to this new one and you will build something sustainable. Mm -hmm. Love yeah, that. I love it. My second follow-up question was around, we talked about your company-wide walkout, um, <laughs> but we, we didn't really talk about the lessons. And I know there are some lessons in there oh, yeah. because uh, we, I think we all know what it's like to be on the other side of, uh, you know, that. And it's a, it's a tough experience. I mean, you know, I, it's really tough on everybody, you know, when, when, when we call it quits on something that we thought we were, you know, a part of, um, yeah, yeah. but I want to know terrible. just as a leader, because now you're a, yeah, it's terrible. It's terrible. It's, <laughs> it's gut wrenching. Um, you're a multiple business owner. You know, you decided when that did happen that you were going to, you know, pick yourself up and, you know, come out of that corner and out of that little, you know, ball and do it again. So what, what were the lessons that you learned? Because it sounds like now you, you've not only grown, regrown that business in a different way, um, but are also continuing to grow businesses. So we talk a lot on this podcast about leadership. Um, John's the director of leadership development in our company. And, you know, there's 120 stylists and managers and, um, you know, people that come through that chain of communication um, and so we love that topic. What are you learning about? What did you learn then? And what are you learning now about leading multiple businesses? You know, back then, I think that, um, and I alluded to it, I was making changes that I knew was best for the long term of the company and for the long term of the current employees and, and as those that were to be coming around the corner. The problem was, is that I wasn't communicating. Yeah. I was sharing the information but I wasn't communicating how beneficial this change was. So I left my team to decide amongst themselves if this was actually a really good change versus helping them understand it was a really good change. So I tend to now, which I've done ever since then, is um, over-communicate what's going <laughs> yep. on. Um, that as a business owner, that you cannot drag somebody to success. Mm -hmm. But what you can do is you can hold their hand and help them see the, the steps that it takes to get there. Mm -hmm. Before also, I wasn't really being honest about where the business was. And when I mean where the business was, 
is there was this big um, cloud around, well, don't show them the books because if they see how much money that's coming in, they're going right. to leave and go start their own. Well, if somebody has the entrepreneurial spirit to start their own, then let's teach them how to do it the right way. So that way we don't have another sad salon story of somebody closing after a few years, mm -hmm. number one. And number two, they'll see that not every dollar brought in goes into the owner's pocket, that it goes into building and, re and sustaining and growing a company. So by the time I picked myself up and came out of it, I realized that I'm not horrible, they're not yeah. horrible, but it was a really, I call it a gut punching um, moment for myself. And then the communication qualities, the transparency of the business, where we're at, who we are, what we're going towards, and hiring, not because that person is technically sound, but hiring because they actually fit where the company currently is, and where I want to see the company go. So that's a human side of hiring versus truly just the technical side of hiring. And those, those few things really helped. I will have to give a shout out to our industry. When it happened, um, it was the first Wednesday in November. So it was right before a holiday season. We had a full book. This team was amazing. We were booked out until February of the next wow. year. Yeah. And, um, once the word started getting around, some major players in this area, as well as across um, the industry, came to kind of my rescue and mm -hmm. said, here, let's help you. And I had, I had distributor individuals shampooing people for me. Uh -huh. I had an old business partner fly up from Florida and spend the two weeks of Christmas helping me. And that's also when I realized that... Um, that everybody can get out of this if they do have the right people surrounding them. And I think that that's what made me really fall back in love again with our industry. Yeah, that's, a, that's a great story. Mm, that is great. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. Thank you. Tracy, I've loved everything that you've shared. Number one, number two, honestly, like bravo for a few years ago, I always try to credit myself for zoom. Just so you guys know, I, <laughs> I tell the entire, you invented zoom that I invented zoom. Oh, sweet. I love it. Um, but really <laughs> the truth is a very savvy marketing person back when I worked at Kuhn introduced me to Zoom. And when I started working with educators nationally and I didn't have a budget to train them, you know, like I would have liked to have had, we did, we did everything through Zoom and it was very effective. And I tried to really push it for a while. Um, and it was frustrating. And so I was grateful for the pause you know, pushing this type of an interaction down the line because it's been helpful, but I did not see coming and I'll admit it. You know, I was an old crow when it comes to taking the front desk away. I've still, I was barking about that up until recently. There are a lot of changes that I didn't see coming. And so I, I just, I want to say like, it's amazing that you were able to have the foresight to go, you know, these are some things coming and the ability to just let go. And go, yeah. you know what? I don't have to like keep worry about what other people are going to say, number one. But number two, just because it's always been done this way doesn't mean I have to continue to do it this way. And I know I can get stuck there. You know, I'll put my hand up for that uh, right away. So thank you for kind of rebringing that um, up. John, I'm, 
you know, I'm buzzing. I could go on forever, but what are some things you're pulling away from this conversation? Um, you know, I'm sitting here looking over my notes and I think the thing that just keeps reoccurring to me is that Tracy just took the time to look at things differently, right? Whether it's a front desk, whether it's pretty convenient, whether it's pretty set go, whether it's all the other things that, you know, Tracy's been working on. Everything I see here is somebody willing to think a little bit different. Uh, and I love that about this entire conversation. And it, it kind of, you know, trips me because as I'm sitting here taking notes during our podcast, you know, I think one of the great things about these podcasts isn't, you know, obviously people walk away and they learn something, right? At least that's always our hope. <laughs> but um, having so many different voices and having so many different guests on our podcast also puts, and I'll be selfish, me in a position where I, I think different now. You know what? Before this podcast, I would have thought this. After this podcast, I'm like, maybe there's something to this or something to that. So um, that's a long way of me saying thank you, Tracy, because um, uh, <laughs> I appreciate this conversation. I know our listeners will as well. And thank you for helping us thinking uh, think a little bit different. Yeah, yeah it's awesome. Thank you. I, Tracy, my pleasure. Uh, thank you. Before, before I ask you the final question, I guess I want to, um, if I'm listening to this, I loved everything I've heard. I'm excited. I want to connect with Tracy. How do we connect with you? How does the world connect with you? Well, obviously I'm on IG. So my first and last name, Tracy Patacek. And then you can find the pretty convenient app in the Apple or Android store. It's a free download. Just click contact and that goes straight to my email. And then um, for Pretty Set Go, we have the prettysetgo.com website as well. So any of those three portals, you can find me directly. Awesome. And thank you for saying your last name. I would have mispronounced it. Knowing we have everywhere from 18 to 80 that listen to this podcast, cosmetology school students on up. Anything you feel like we left on the table in this conversation or some words you want to leave us with? Thank you for asking that question because it's really important to tie everything up in a nice little bow for everybody. Um, I think that John really pointed out about the ability to look at things differently, but there was a statement within there that he said, um, pausing to look at things differently, especially nowadays with everything coming at us. And I love technology and I love the opportunity that everything's at my fingertips and I can Google it all. But we need to, in order to really affect um, positive change inside and outside of the industry, we need to take a moment to quiet ourselves, to quiet our technology, to quiet our minds, and really honestly look at ourselves, look at this industry, and look at where it's going and how we can help it be better and not leave it to just because that's the way it's always been done. And again, find the mentor that is willing to explore ideas with you. You don't want them to be a yes man, but you definitely want to find a mentor that's willing to explore ideas with you. So that way you can really find out what your purpose is in this industry. Hey, podcast, thanks so much for listening to that episode. Hey, listen, if you are one of the 130,000 salons in the United States that isn't really taking home a profit, yes, we know you work behind the chair 80 hours a week. Yes, we know you're squeezing clients in 
early and late. I've been there myself. Yes, we know that you're putting money back into the business. We know that you're surviving, but if you're a salon owner and you're not thriving, listen, there's a good reason for it. It's because in cosmetology school, believe it or not, they do not teach you how to run a business. And while I'm smiling right now delivering this message, I certainly know that when the salon isn't running well or when you're not taking home profit and when you feel like you're maybe not getting the return that you probably deserve on for your investment of time, effort, and energy that you put in every week and your heart, you're trying to grow your team, you're trying to make sure they have a great place to work, you've got all these things to manage, front desk, inventory, you know, what do we do at tax time? What do we do at payroll time when we're feeling a little short or strapped? I get it. I know all of these feels and I also know what it's like to feel on the other side. And when I met Brian Perdue, when I was a director at Kuhn, I saw a man that just simply had a different mindset around business than most salon owners. And, you know, he had grown from just four hairstylists in 1991 to its current over 140 hairstylists and growing. Brian's still looking around to open more locations. And the one thing that he understands is that being a salon owner and being a hairstylist are two very different jobs. Anyway, if I'm pulling on any of your heartstrings here and you're saying, yeah, this kind of sounds like me, Chris. So what are you talking about? Um, I want you to know that I was able to twist Brian's arm and convinced John Palmieri, who's the director of leadership development for Brian inside of his salon group, the Salon 124 group. They do over $10 million a year in revenue between their six salons and the cosmetology school. And they filmed a course for you. Of course, I participated as well because I love to teach stylists and owners how to grow themselves or people behind the chair. It's called the Salon Business Blueprint. And if you're interested in checking it out, it's a 28-video and growing series. We have plans to add probably about 25 videos to that coming soon. Um, but you can check it out for the lowest price it's ever going to be right now at www.124goacademy.com. Or you can just flick your thumb up and click the link below, www.124goacademy.com. If you want to grow your salon in 2022, you're tired of spinning your wheels, you want to maybe get out of debt or learn how to grow a little bit of profit at the end of the year, maybe buy the building that you're in, who knows? Uh, we can help you with that. So we hope you check out Salon Business Blueprint. Hope to see you there. And again, thanks as always for listening to this podcast.